Sisters in Service. Welcome to another episode of Sisters in Service. This is Kat Corchado, your host. And today we have with us Jenny Narset and Elizabeth Penix, and they're going to talk a little bit about Operation Her Story and why that's so special for, for women veterans. But before we go there, I always ask this question um, about their service. But Jenny, why don't you introduce yourself? Okay. Tell us I'm, a little bit about you. Okay. Um, I'm, I joined the Air Force um, when I was in 1973. I did this because I wanted to go to school, and it was right at the height of the, the toward the end of the Vietnam uh, era. So um, I joined the military and stayed for five years active duty, and then another 25 uh, with the Air Force Reserve. So that was pretty much my my career. Got to travel a lot, and I did see the world. So, so what what was your favorite assignment, Jenny? My favorite assignment, I think, was Langley Air Force Base in Virginia. It was um, the weather was perfect, and had a lot of friends there, and um, it was it was a great assignment. It was close to the beach. It's like it was perfect. Mm. So it was a good. And what was your was least job. favorite assignment? I was stationed in. Oh my gosh, Alexandria, Louisiana, at England Air Force Base. It's closed and now. Yes, yes. You remember? I remember that? Yeah, it's yes. Yeah, I do. it's closed now. Yeah, it was near Pineville, where there was an Army base there, mm-hmm. and but it was just an interesting, you know, coming from Ohio, going to Louisiana, and it was so <laughs> hot and humid. It was like wow. <laughs> so that was not. I was glad to get out of there, but I had a great job. Right. I was just glad to leave. So I hear you. I um, yeah. I've been in. I've gone to. I went to tech school in Mississippi, and my last tour of duty was in Charleston Air Force Base in South oh, yeah. Carolina. And I tell people I was there two and a half years. I don't think my hair ever dried. It was ever dry the whole two and a half years I was there because of the humidity. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds just like Louisiana. So, well, thank you, Jenny Liz Penix. Hi, good How afternoon. How are you? I'm give, doing give, fine. Tell us a little. This is so nice to be a part of the conversation. I feel like I'm not worthy to be in the same room with you two. Oh, my oh God. this is awesome. No, I'm. I'm a. You know, I'm. I'm a younger generation of veteran. I'm a post 9/11 veteran and Navy. So um, I first uh, was inspired to join by 9/11. 9/11 happened, and I was working at the Sears Tower in Chicago. And my brother was um, active duty at the time, and he was actually deployed on their way home from deployment. So they had to turn around and go back and do operations in Afghanistan. So I was very inspired to join. And so as a post 9-11 veteran, uh, we just have a very, as women, especially, it's, it's you know, a, a gradually um, changing service for women. And I think we really stand on the shoulders of your generation and Jenny's generation incrementally. So, um, but it's vastly different. And I've learned that because I didn't learn that in the military. I've learned that from, from being friends with people like Jenny, who has mentored me and told me the reality of how service was. So I really do have a lot of thanks for uh, my sisters in arms who are elder and uh, the men that supported the policies that have made it a more equitable service at this point. So um, we still have our problems, but um, I'm just so happy to be in the military and serving 
in a format in in a way that was not possible for people in Ginny's generation, for example. And so what was your favorite assignment while you were in the military? All right, this is kind of a tricky question because my favorite assignment was the hardest assignment that I ever had. And I was deployed for um, seven months to Baghdad, Iraq during the surge of forces in 2006 and 2007. And I was part of a task force uh, and we dealt with uh, the criminal justice for detainees under the Geneva Convention. And so it was an incredible job. It was incredibly intense. It was very long hours. It was very stressful, very, very gory um, insofar as the content was concerned and incredibly important to the people of Iraq. So it, it blew my mind and changed my worldview uh, drastically. Mm-hmm. Um, it also was the hardest assignment. It was so stressful, and we were always taking incoming, and there was nothing we could do to defend ourselves. And so it was just really stressful. But it's also where I met my husband. He was an Army Reserve officer, and uh, mm-hmm. he full-time work, civilian side, as a Chicago police officer, but he is um, just an incredible man. And he'd been there for multiple deployments, so mm-hmm. he was just, uh, I didn't expect to meet my future husband in Iraq, but I would say that was my, my favorite assignment because it just really changed the trajectory of my, of my life and my worldview. Wow. And what was your worst assignment? Not worse, the one that you liked the least. So I liked, it was a reserve assignment. <laughs> it was, it was um, two year assignment where it wasn't because of the work. The work was great, but I was assigned to a unit that administratively had to um, update with our trainings and do all the logistics administration through a particular Navy operational support center, which was a total nightmare. And at some points I've thought that maybe this particular support center was trying to make people get out of the Navy. Um <laughs> But I I would say that every assignment has been awesome in the work that I've been able to do and the the world that I've been able to see. Like I was able to go to Guantanamo um, and work with the commission. So that support sort of felt like the whole thing came full circle because 9-11 is what inspired me to join and to be a part of that was wonderful. Um, But sometimes the administration on the reserve side of the house is really a heavy lift and it takes a lot of time out of your day and out of your life. And I work full time as a civilian too. So I would say my least favorite assignment was my assignment from 2017 to 19. Wow. I was telling Jenny earlier, we were talking about, um, I guess the weather. And I told her that my least favorite assignment, I was it's closed now, Loring Air Force Base, Maine. So if anyone can identify, it's so it was so far north that you could literally walk across the border into Canada. Wow. And they had they had snow from like September through probably maybe April. And I was telling wow. Jenny that my my birthday is mid-June, and I remember them saying that they weren't sure that the lakes were going to be um, melted oh, in no. June, and I thought, I need to go. This this is not the place for me. That's Canada. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, that's it, it, oh, yeah. Well, I remember going there, and you know, I got there, and they issue your winter gear, you know, the long johns and all this other stuff, and um, or what do you call it? 
you wear underneath your your uniform. And I had them on in September because I had come from Turkey. Oh my where gosh, it was really hot. And they were laughing at me. They're like, "What are you going to do when it really gets cold?" And I said, "I'm just going to be miserable." And I was. <laughs> where are you originally from, Kat? So you go well, to the cold, was- then I stayed in the south. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, my dad was military too. So I'm from all over. I was actually born in England, but I've been, you know, as a child all over the world. And I thought that's how, you know, kids, that's what kids do, you know. And when I look back at it, it's probably one of the best things that ever happened to me is to be born into a family that was military because we got as kids, we got to see things that a lot of kids never get to see. Yeah, I love to hear that perspective because sometimes um, I th- I know as parents, like me and my husband, we were both dual military. We worry about kids not doing well with multiple moves. And I mm-hmm. think um, hearing from someone who grew up in the military like yourself, it's 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 really great to hear that kids actually like that and embrace that. Well, we just thought that's how life was. That's what you do. I mean, even now, if I'm too place for um, in a place too long, I'm like, okay, are we are we moving? What are we doing now? Yeah, yeah. It was like every two years you were received mm-hmm. orders to go somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, Jenny, you were a Vietnam era veteran. So I'm interested to hear your take on the difference then versus now in the military. What kind of hardships did you come across as a female um, active duty during the Vietnam era? Um, I think one of the hardships was, was if you could type, you got the job that you, you know, you got to be a secretary Uh, and there was no opportunities for women. And that, I think that was not really so much a hardship, but it was not an opportunity for us to look forward to ever even making general um, because you had to fly a plane to become a general. So the, the, but you know, the good thing about it was um, you learn from these hardships. You learn that you want to push harder and you want to get out there and you want to make it easier for the next generation of women coming in. So we, we really uh, did a lot of um, soul searching and finding out what women could do in some of these jobs. So we took baby steps and mm-hmm. women started getting into men's jobs and eventually now look at them there. I was just telling Liz, no. the, the leader of the Super Bowl for the, for the B2 stealth was a woman. I know, right? 30 years old. I thought, oh man, now that's progress. That's something. That's progress. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that um, when I got out, so I, I got out in 2000 and I don't know what resources were out there for women at that time. From what I remember, okay, this is how old I am. This was before um, cell phones, <laughs> you know, before, you know, I couldn't afford a cell phone. So maybe they were out there, but we weren't told of any, you know, women's groups or women organizations or anything that we could, you know, when we're transitioning that we could hang on to for support. So I know that when you got out, Jenny, that, that were you told of anything or were you just, they were just like, okay, bye. And you just kind yeah. of made it on your own. It was okay. Bye. I drove off the base with my car full of stuff and mm-hmm. went back to Ohio where I was from. But no, there was no, 
send off or a welcome home or and, and nothing like that. And mm-hmm. I mean, they're finally getting recognized. But no, you just left and you left without the uniform on. We could not wear the uniform off base um, mm-hmm. because it just wasn't a comfortable thing. You got either spit mm-hmm. on or or you yeah. called names. So, yeah. yeah. It was a total different situation. We didn't oh, get yeah. all the freebies that they get today. Today they get sports <laughs> tickets. And I'm like, wow, what happened to them? I know. I want what some of that. <laughs> yeah. So, Liz, on the other end of it, when you were getting out of the military, what was was that a better experience for you? Or did you not know what to expect? <laughs> Well, the way that it works um, is that I had to put in a letter of resignation from active duty, and I immediately started working with a transition officer in the Navy to join the reserves. So I did what's pretty called a seamless transition from the active component to the reserve component. And I, as a reserve member, worked in the command that supported the same command that I came from. So my transition was so smooth and seamless and I think the biggest transition was going from being active duty, full-time lawyer to then going into a civilian world, if you will, where I'm trying to find full-time civilian employment while balancing the obligations of a reserve job. And the reserve job is at a minimum um, two weeks out of the year um, and one weekend a month. And I was already at a rank where I was... um, moving into senior officer status. So it's going to be a big obligation. So as a female veteran, I did find that transitioning off active duty and then interviewing for civilian jobs, I was definitely a a unicorn. Um, People would read my resume and they would say, wow, you're, you know, you've got all these crazy credentials and you've done all these cool jobs and you've got these security clearances and it's just great. You should be like a super spy. And I mean, I'm not living in a movie. So I do need a job to pay my bills and feed my children. Um, It was very weird to be perceived that way. And I didn't feel like, I felt like I was not understood. And it's not for a lack of ability to communicate my skill set. Because as a lawyer and a professional communicator, I was was translating my skill set that should have been very valuable. And it also probably was complicated by the fact that I was of childbearing age. And the reality is we are just, we are women in a, in a man's world and it's changing, but there Mm. weren't as many opportunities eight years ago, nine years ago when I joined the reserves that there are now uh, for like telework positions and more flexible positions. And I wasn't even looking for that, but it just, I think I was just a unique animal. And, um, my colleagues that were men that were getting off active duty had jobs lined up already. Oh yeah. A big Automatically. And it's not like their grades were better. Their, my performance was always top. And so it was an interesting position to be in. Uh, so I'd say the transition was more attributable to my being a woman than it was, um, being a veteran because I was well-received as a veteran. I've been lauded, all the time. And that's why these stories about women and how they were treated in service before mm. blows my mind. So I, I would yeah. say that it's mostly just because I was a woman. I, I, I was going to say that really still hasn't changed. Um, going back to civilian, um, I'll give you an example. Yesterday, I had my second COVID shot at the VA. It's the only female, which I'm used to because you, you had to be 
65 or older. And some woman came up to me and she says, you can follow your husband to go get Mm -hmm. a shot or you can choose to stay. And the man around her really said, lady, she's a veteran too. And I was really surprised. Normally you wouldn't hear that. But it is a transition in many different ways. You just don't expect women to have served. So. Oh, absolutely. Well, now you get the, well, you don't look like a veteran. Oh, you know, that's what I get. You know? <laughs> and you're like, okay, whatever, dude. <laughs> and it's usually, yeah. um, I hate to say this, but it's usually a guy that confronts me, you know, and, you know, because, and I've said this before, that we have certain um supermarkets and stuff, they have, it'll say, you know, um, veteran parking, you know? And so when I can't find a parking spot, I'm like, okay, let me just pull in there, you know, and you get confronted by people and they're looking at you and, and, you know, you're looking back at them, like what's wrong with them, you know? And, and it's, it's unfortunate that we have to still fight these, um, what stereotypes of what a, a female veteran is even today, you know? Um, so let's talk a little bit about Operation Her Story. Jenny, tell us a little bit about an idea. Was it something, did you just get upset about something, said we need to do something for women? How did that come about? Well, I think I'd like to, to clue uh, Liz in on this too, because she was a big part of Absolutely. creating this, this organization. Um, we both worked together for the state and I was sort of like, uh, the person that was was working for the governor that was leaving and the go- governor that was coming in. So I was there about seven, eight months. And when I left, while I was working there, I noticed there wasn't a lot of women that I ran into. I mean, you go to these meetings and they were all men. So uh, when I left the state, as I was the chief of staff. I thought, you know what? I want to do something else. So I'm a member of the Daughters of the American Revolution. So they asked me to get involved with honor flights. So I started looking into it and found out there were no women on these flights, maybe one out of every 200, if that. And so I'm like, okay, we got to work on this. I talked to Liz about it and talked to a few other people. We decided to talk to the honor flight. I was introduced to him by my former boss to... Um, to talk to them about creating an all-female flight. But it didn't come without controversy. And I can mm-hmm. explain that later. But that's how Operation Her Story started was, we're going to do an all-female flight. We're going to be, the, it's, it's inaugural. I mean, it'll be the first one in Illinois. So um, it that's didn't take off when it was supposed to because of COVID, but mm-hmm. it's going to take off this this year. Well, I would be very interested in knowing how, because personally speaking, I think we have to have um, an, uh, uh, you know, an uh, Operation Her Story in every state, you know, where they, we have an honor flight, you know, or, or hubs, you know, um, where women yeah. can be, you know, because I've, I've seen them, you know, I'll see it on TV, you know, and, and you see the, you know, the men getting on a plane, everything. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. But you never saw women ever. Mm-mm. And I was, and I kind of thought that was weird, but you know, I didn't really think anything about it, but it wasn't until you and I had talked, Jenny, that um, I started thinking about it. And I was like, wow, that's really kind of cool what you were doing and what you were trying to do, you know? But um, so when you were doing this, what, what kind of things did you come across? What kind of issues, you know, was it 
people didn't want to participate? Was it you couldn't get organizations to help out? What kind of things? Or even Liz, you can tell me what, because you've been working closely with her on this. What kind of things, what kind of roadblocks did you come across getting this off the ground? I think one of the main concerns, and we had a pretty key meeting early on, uh, and it was it would have been about December of two, 2019. Um, it was a meeting to really see, and we met with Honor Flight to see, and a whole bunch of uh, women veterans organizations, veterans organizations, veteran service organizations, um, private individuals who are very interested in the subject matter, um, nonprofits. I mean, we had a table full of just this amazing variety of, of groups and people. And the, the meeting was with Honor Flight to develop this partnership and the viability of it, because Women veterans in Illinois, and I know this from working for the state Illinois Department of Veterans Affairs, just don't do a good job of coming forward to identify and say, I'm a veteran. And frankly, I will admit, I did not know I was a veteran until my sister wished me a happy Veterans Day one time when I was on active duty. And I said, I'm not a veteran. And she said, you served in the military. You're yes, you are. <laughs> but I had never, yes, you are. <laughs> I've never filed for benefit. You know, I've not done that yet. And so I had, I didn't know in my naive state, but now I was always trying to find women veterans in Illinois and they just don't put their hand up for various reasons. Maybe they're not coming for services. Maybe they're not coming for help. Maybe they're not, maybe they've been taught by how they're treated, you know, in society to just, just serve, put your head down, go about your, go about your life and, and don't take any criticism because, um, and I really do think that's a very critical piece of why these women veterans from the generations of world war one, world war two, Korean war, Vietnam war, were not coming forward is because, you know, they they have already felt inferior about their service because they weren't necessarily given the same uh, full force and effect of veterans benefits, veteran status, um, I, and, and further complicated women of color that served absolutely were not even allowed to serve for for decades after white women were allowed to serve. So we had a lot of layers of social complexity that contribute to why women aren't coming forward. And we we noticed that some of the women we talked to maybe had an opportunity to get on an honor flight, but they knew that there were other men waiting. And they said, you know what, just let him take the spot. And they mm-hmm. put themselves off the list. So right. when honor flight met with us, they said to us, do you think you'll be able to find 125 women and a resounding around the table from these organizations that know women veterans said, yes, absolutely. We can find them. We and, found them. Yes. And they were shocked. Of course we did. They, they didn't think it was possible because the way they search for men veterans is to go to events and look for the men that are wearing the hats. And maybe women aren't wearing those hats because they have a hairdo that they don't want to mess up with the ball cap. Um, you know, it's just a matter of men tend to be a little more um, prolific about their service and, and um, outwardly show their service. And women from those generations in particular are not doing that. So it's just harder to find the women. So when we had this key conversation, I think that's when Honor Flight really understood, like, absolutely, this is this is something that's possible. And to highlight women's service, uh, one of the roadblocks we had was, how is this not going to exclude men? So the thought was that this would be a specialty flight to make women's service visible because it was not historically visible during that time frame. This is not supposed to be an exclusionary event, but rather a commemorative event 
for our sisters in arms that did not get the the accolades they deserved at the time. And so including men on our board, including men on the team, including men and their Mm -hmm. perspectives was a very key thing we decided early on is because this is not supposed to be exclusive. We are one team in the military and this is how we want these operations, her story to serve women. Yeah, we're all, I mean, we're all veterans, but when you said that, you know, you couldn't, like women wouldn't stand up and be counted as veterans, that's what we're finding even now, you know, because women still think, oh, you know, I'm not really a veteran or even the veterans organizations, which prompted me to do something because when we first came to Charlotte, you know, I thought, let me get into these veteran organizations. And they were, I mean, if there were a hundred people there, there might be two or three women, maybe. A lot of times it was just me. And I thought, where are they? Where are these women? So I get it that it was really difficult, you know, for you guys to, you know, because when we're like, well, I'm not sure I'm a veteran, you know, and you don't know what you don't know until you put up your hand and go, oh, I am a veteran. Let me be included in this. So this question is for both of you. Operation Her Story is for what era of women veterans which ones are included in this uh, there they have to be veterans who served from 1940 to 1975 and 1975 is when the vietnam era was uh, i think may was uh the end of the considered the end of the war uh you don't have Mm -hmm. to serve in war you just had to be in the military during that time and the vietnam veterans just started going last year so that's, that's the era. Um, you could be reserved, you could be guard, you could be active duty. So you just had to be classified as a veteran. You had to wear you, wear the uniform, right? Right. right. And be and in I, that era. I, 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 yeah. I want to mention one thing that if I can, may, sure. may I do this is go back to what Liz was talking about. She talked to the on-flight folks and wanted to know how many women veterans were on their board. And uh, it was a very uncomfortable time because it's like, well, we don't have any, and that, that's where we can come in and help. We can get those mm-hmm. 100 women that you want. And we did. Got 118. Of did. Yeah, and, and of course honestly, did. Honestly, <laughs> been such an amazing partner to yeah. handle the logistics, and um, they have made everything so smooth. They're a well-oiled machine, and, and this, is, this is a beautiful vision for them and for Operation Her Story to honor these women. And, you know, as Jenny was saying, this is Operation Her Story is this one flight. And um, we don't know what the future holds necessarily. We want to execute this flight and uh, make sure it's a success. But we're hoping to continue this into the future. And we are working um, with uh, Pritzker Military Museum and Library to capture oral histories from these women Mm -hmm. as well, because I just Mm -hmm. don't think there's any substitute from the story as told by in the voice of the person who served under whatever circumstances um, or roles that they served in. So um, I just think it's just, you know, once, once we sort of broke through that, that can we do this barrier? uh, It's just been, I mean, the fundraising has been great. The teams have been great. The partners have all been helpful. And now with COVID as a complicating factor, we're just kind of in a holding pattern for now, uh, waiting to get a a date identified, but we're ready to launch as soon as that happens. And Honor Flight has has just made it all possible. So, yeah, they had their own, their own brand and their own rules. They they could specialize in certain 
in certain um, flights. But what they did, they said, we can be a partner. If you can find the women and help us and you can do the fundraising, we can do this for you. Because we don't know anything about the logistics. Right. But that was where really good yeah. partnership started. And it was like, there's so many partners helping us. And and it was hard asking for money because I'm not used to that. And, you know, in the government, you don't go around asking people for money. So, <laughs> so we did. And, and everybody like <laughs> yeah, I mean, we would we have a we have a very diverse team, and everyone just chipped in and helped. We were just it just I couldn't believe it. So I was real happy, and 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 I got to tell you that Liz has been such a great co chair in this whole thing. I mean, she created the logo, she did a lot of the writing, put out the back sheets, helped. She's helping with the website, so. It, uh, it took a team effort to get this going. Absolutely. Well, I know, Jenny, that you are my first Vietnam-era female veteran on the Sisters in Service podcast. So I feel like this oh, is wow. super special for me, you know, um, because I know, you know, it's, it's funny when someone says, you know, thank you for your service. And I feel like it was easier when... I went in and got out, then it must have been for you. So, you know, you women who were in during that era were actually the trailblazers for me and Liz and everyone in between and after us, because, you know, they're like, oh, you know, how courageous of you. No, you guys <laughs> were the courageous ones because you go, you went into it not knowing it, you know, I mean, you don't, you yeah. probably didn't see very many women, you know, you saw another one every now and then now you see them all the time you know, yeah. which is a good thing. Yeah. That's true. So that's, that's really, you know, you're a true trailblazer. So in many ways, including with, you know, operation, her story. So if someone who's listening in the Chicago era area is interested in being a part of maybe not this flight, but maybe another flight, how could they get in contact with you or Liz? Uh, we have a website, operationherstory.org. Um, they can, or they can call the Otter Flight in Chicago. Um, mm -hmm. They're there right now. Um, they become the, the money. They're the people holding the money for it. Once we got it all. Um, they also are doing you know, writing to all the ladies and letting them know what's going on. So if they want to, if, if a military woman wants to sign up, they can go to operationherstory.org and get the application. If they want to volunteer, I'd recommend they go directly to the Honor Flight Chicago. And they've got a website. Um, it's, easy, it's easy to find them. Just Google Honor Flight Chicago. Well, Jenny and Liz, it's been awesome having you on and knowing more about Operation Her Story. I was fascinated when... Jenny was talking about it and, and really, you know, I kept asking all these questions. What is it? How can we do this? I want to do one. One question I do have is how often, okay, let's say we're post COVID COVID's no more. How often would you have these honor flights? Would it be a yearly? Is it twice a year? How many times a year would you be doing this? If you, if in your dream, you know, when we're sitting here daydreaming, what would be that perfect number? Would you say one or two flights a year? Honor Flight Chicago is every month. As far as the women, oh, I wow. think. Yeah, it's every month. As far as the women, this is the first one. And 
I'm not sure if there will be a second one, but I do know that they want to be a lot more inclusive and put more women on the flights. So, yeah, my dream for this would be um, to piggyback on Jenny's thoughts is if, if we were in a perfect world, I would think that this could be a once a year specialty flight um, and Honor Flight would still be our partner for all of that. And I, I really think that we could once a year um, get an all women's flight together. And of course, we'd have to, you know, see how that plays out. But I just I could anticipate that being a very successful evolution. There's other things that Operation Her Story can do if we decide to stay around. Operation Her Story was created because the team came first and then the name came later. But um, there's like the World War II Museum in New Orleans. We could take a road trip down there or we could go to other places. We can do things like most of your women's veterans programs deal with homelessness. They deal with healthcare. They deal with all kinds of things. None of them really do anything fun. This is a fun thing for women to get together and not be be invisible. We got to be visible. I think we need an Operation Her Story tour. Like right. start off in Chicago and you make these stops <laughs> in certain places, you know, right? You can That's stop off in Charlotte. Then. Now I'll pop on and then we, yeah. can, we can end up in Washington, oh, D.C. Like a, you know like what a I'm saying? tour. I like this. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's a really great idea. That's a great idea. I, and I, I think, that, you know, the, the, our mission, our whole mission is to make her visible. So mm-hmm. in, in times and eras when women's service was discredited and not that visible, and I'm, I'm here as a young, younger generation veteran to say the things mm-hmm. that Jenny doesn't want to say, which are to talk about the facts of the hardship mm-hmm. of her service as yes. well, because that's, that's where, you know, you, the trailblazers took those, took those trees down, took those, um, briars out for the younger generations for a smoother, mm-hmm. a smoother experience, to be honest, and a more equal experience. So I think that there's a lot of fire in the younger generations, women's uh, categories for not only supporting and making older women's service visible, but to actually then serve together in the community. Because that's another thing that Operation Her Story would like to do is just bring women of all generations together. Um, but for this Absolutely. specific specialty flight, really honoring the older women who who want to they should seize their day as one of our one of our veterans has said before take your day of honor you know we really want to see that right so okay i see this operation her story getting bigger as we speak it's been a lot of work but we're just yeah. getting started and oh, that's I know. Really what happens when first get started is it's just a lot of work but yeah. It, it gets easier. But, yeah. But to see it come to fruition, you know what I mean? I love it. When you put in so much work and you see it come and, and you're like, finally, this is the day we've been working towards, you know, instead of stupid COVID that had to get in the way. Right. But um, that's got to be very satisfying for, for you both and for everyone that was involved with that. You know, I'm kind of jealous. I'm like, I want to be in on that. That's kind of cool. I'm not moving to Chicago, however. You can meet us in DC. We could see you in DC. Yeah, you should come to DC. Yeah. Join us. I would love to. In Chicago and we could see them all get off the plane. I mean, you're invited, Kat. There we go. Yeah. I mean, see, it, I can see it. it I, I can see it. I'm going to manifest it so that it 
it comes to fruition and it comes true. And then we'll talk about this later over drinks and be like, remember when we talked about this when you were on the Sisters of Service podcast? I love it. It's going to come true, I'm telling you. Um, Jenny and Liz, it's been such a pleasure talking to you both, Um, knowing a little bit more about you, learning more about Operation Her Story. If you, anyone listening, you want to be, if you're interested, you know, make sure you reach out to Jenny and Liz um, in Operation Her Story and find out how you can help out because I, I see this is going to be a big deal in a few years. As always, thank you for supporting me in my podcast journey. If there are any topics you would like to hear on Sisters in Service, please email me at sistersinsvc at gmail.com. June 1st, I will have as my guest Sierra Nablina, an Army veteran who is well-versed in the cannabis community and how it helps her with her PTSD. In the meantime, please be safe, take care of each other, and until next time.